and I try to share uh, just small tidbits about these women who are, as you mentioned, child-free, childless, or single. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am really excited. I say that every time, but it's true. Today, we are speaking with Emma of Millennial Emma on Instagram. So welcome, Emma. Thank you for being on the podcast today. I'm so excited to talk to you. I just love your Instagram page and which features women throughout history who have been child-free, childless, or single. How did this page come to be? How did you get started? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's really great. And, and I think one of the things that is so great about social media is to be able to connect, you know, with other content creators that I probably wouldn't have known, you know, if, if I wasn't on there. The child-free community has been so helpful to me uh, in my own life, and I wanted to try and give back to the community. And I was doing all this research, and it, for a while it was really just on my own, and I realized I wanted to be able to share it with other people. Um, and so I was like, well, social media is probably the best way to do that. So I started an Instagram account and a Twitter account, and I try to share, uh, just small tidbits about these women who are, as you mentioned, child-free, childless, or single, because there's some overlap on some of these categories. And, um, the reason I also focus on single women, uh, although I'm married, is because a lot of my friends are not married and we're approaching our thirties and they deal with such such anxiety, such pressure, even though they're very accomplished in many other ways. Some of them have PhDs, they have great careers, hobbies, social life, like they're amazing women. But like sometimes when we talk, they have this kind of, um, it's really a fear of being seen as incomplete because they're not married. Or if it's not that, it's because they might not want children and they feel that like they're a black sheep in their family or that, you know, other people are not caring about their lives uh, because they're not planning on having children. And I feel very lucky to be supported by my husband and being child free and my in-laws and not having this pressure that relates to marriage. Although I do have the pressure related to, to not having children, but it's, I wanted to be able to show like, Hey, you know, like there are hundreds, probably thousands of women. We just don't know them uh, or we don't realize that they went against these expectations. I mean, when I started the top of my head, these, some of these women were like Jane Austen, right? Like yeah. I, knew she, I knew she had never married, um, but I started thinking about, some of my favorite authors and did they marry did they have kids or not and I started to realize that the, there were a lot that either never married or did not have children and I, I was like why this is really cool like these women that I love for their work or their art and realized that we have other connections and it it made me feel encouraged in my own life and I wanted to be able to tell other people that if you ever have doubts or fears that you know you can look back at what they did and maybe be motivated or inspired or at least <laughs> be able to say like hey stop stop hounding me about getting married to have kids look at all these women I, I like to say like would you tell Jane Austen that she wasted her life because she mm. never married or had kids like would you tell her that or would you say that to 
uh, Susan B. Anthony, who fought for women's right to vote in the U.S., or would you say that to Florence Nightingale and Claire Barton, who are pioneering nurses? And like, there's a lot more names, but um, I think people might recognize these big ones and just know that, like, yeah, these these women's are even even the most misogynistic people would probably not tell them that they wasted <laughs> their lives. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that too because I mean just hearing some of the names that you've mentioned and thinking about when they lived and knowing how much stigma there is today around these choices still to have these examples of women in history who probably faced much more pressures, more, more stigma, more repercussions for their choices. And they still did it is like so inspiring. And so thank you for bringing these stories to light and sharing them. I think it's really powerful and really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And you're completely right. It's this uh, concept of like, oh, like if, if they did it at that time, then I can do it. And they didn't even have communities uh, as strong as a child-free or single community on social media. And so, yeah, I am, I have a lot of anxiety and I often doubt myself. And so sometimes it sounds really silly, but I'll be like, you know, like, they, as you said, they did that at a time where it was probably a thousand times harder and more isolating. But I will say that one of the things I do find interesting is that I end up finding a lot of um, clusters almost. Like if I find a woman who's been single or never had kids, I'll often find in her entourage uh, five or six other women. And I think it's very interesting to kind of see that they probably did have these kind of social circles that were, uh, sharing similar ideas. And I think it's, it's nice to know that, you know, uh, some of these women probably did have friends that they could rely on who chose the same path, even if it went against the established expectations of, of marriage and motherhood. So that's something that I've found very neat um, in doing the research. Yeah, that's so cool. And it makes me think of you too, as you were just sharing about your own friends that you know, you were kind of inspired to research single women as well, even though that's not your story to help lift up your friends and someone a hundred years from now looked back at you. Um, they would find that entourage too of child-free childless and, um, single women, which is really, Oh, that's really cool. Anyways. I'm curious. What has this research shown you? Have you had a big takeaway from doing this work? Yeah, that's interesting. So I will say when I started, I probably Googled like names of uh, women from history who didn't have kids. And um, it was always kind of the same 10, 15 names, which were great. Again, uh, Susan B. Anthony, Jane Austen, Florence Nightingale, like a lot of the same names were coming back, coming back. And I realized, you know, first of all, that I admire a lot of these women. And I started just looking at any woman that I knew I had an interest in and started to be like oh like this one never married and this one never had kid either and I started creating this small list that I added onto and I wasn't sure how many women I'd find in total I was just like I'm just gonna write it down and I started with these very 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 famous women and then uh, added like anybody I can think of I would like google wikipedia kids or no kids I and then it grew and grew and then it kind of um (laughs) kind of exploded (laughs) (laughs) Oh, which is great, which is really fantastic. But I have, I think, over 900 names so far of um, 
with no kids. I think single women uh, probably hovers around four or 500 because obviously um, at the time, if you didn't want kids, the best way to make sure you wouldn't have kids is to not get married. <laughs> so it's, there's obviously an overlap before birth control was more accessible, but, but it's not always the case, which is interesting. And I wish I could ask them like, was this a choice or not? <laughs> because I think that would be very interesting to know. But yes, it kind of um, snowballed because the more women I'd find, the more, as I said, I'd find in their entourage. So it really kind of um, almost like um, those kind of family trees that you look at. It starts with one and then it divides into two and then four. And then it just it gets like it gets so much bigger so quickly because it's just keep finding so many and so many and so many. And um, it was really great. It was like um sometimes those rabbit holes like Wikipedia and like, oh, and they had this friend and we cook on it and they had this other friend. <laughs> it's just like my biggest takeaway from this research is just the sheer number of women with no children that I have found. And I am only about two years into this and the list keeps growing. And these women still all had a certain level of fame um, or acknowledgement. They're usually writers or artists, uh, philanthropists like they have <laughs> I like to say that most of the women I've found have a Wikipedia page which I think speaks to the fact that they've made some mark on history and I think it would be very interesting to look at women who may might have not made such a strong mark on history who are completely forgotten or have no records left because I think then my list would be hundreds of thousands <laughs> but the fact that relatively famous women through history, that I still have a list that is approaching a thousand women to me is is thrilling. I love it. I'm I'm so excited, and uh, one day I hope I'll be able to kind of upload this database to make it searchable, so that you know people who want to research specific parts of it or you know just look at the numbers can can do that. Um, I'm I don't have the technical skills right now, but like my goal is one day to put it all out there so that <laughs> it will be easier for everybody to see. And right now I, I do it through social media posts, but it's not really easily searchable. I'm very excited to know that if this was all printed, it would probably be an encyclopedia, <laughs> just a sheer number and pages. And that's probably what one of the things that makes me smile the most about this is that it did not stop at like 50 women. And I was like, yeah. well, that's all, <laughs> that's all there is. <laughs> no, it's, it's never ending. And every month it, I add more and more and more. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that makes me really happy. Yeah. And I love how it shines a light on how this isn't a new phenomena that women don't want to have children. Yes, exactly. Or don't want to be married. And and some people have researched maybe the more, um, like I look really at individual lives and, and I try not to focus too much on what might be going in that environment to, to influence these women's choices. But some people have, and it's very interesting to see, you know, uh, well, maybe in the 19th century, northeast of the U.S., there are higher rates of women never married because, you know, they were focused on intellectual pursuits or, you know, uh, post Second World War in Germany, maybe less women married because, you know, a number of men from, of marrying ages were killed during World mm -hmm. Like yeah, there's all this these external uh, factors that can come into play and to, you know, why people marry or don't economic factors and all that is is really interesting to look at to kind of see the tendencies yeah it's always existed and I think it's always hovered around uh 20 percent of women or so probably 
never mm. had kids. That seems to be the number that most people agree on. And then again, with, with variations, right? Like if you were a suffragist, you know, you had higher chance of not being married than if you lived uh, in the deep South at the same time. Like it just, it varies, um, but it's very interesting um, to, to kind of see that, as you say, it's always existed. And um, I, I don't think that the idea of not wanting children is new either. It's just that for some of these women, um, they just translated it as I don't want to get married because I don't want to be forced to do housewife duties. Um, so it didn't, they didn't even have to go to the, I don't want, you know, to have to raise children because just not being married stopped this whole process for them. Um, but it's very clear from, from some of them that they do want to focus on their career and they know that being married and therefore having children <laughs> or having to try having children um, would force them to abandon their their pursuits um but they don't vocalize it the same way we can today when you can be married and choose not to have children so there's that it's a bit more difficult to be able to say if they're child free or childless but I believe (laughs) it's my own interpretation that some of these women very clearly made choices that would be called uh child free today Mm. Yeah. How far back does your research go or like women that you're researching, how far back in history are you finding examples? I think some of the earliest I have still kind of hovers around the fifth or sixth century. Um, So um, yeah, it it gets more difficult the further back you go because of records. And a lot of those early women tend to be nuns for obvious reasons, right? (laughs) Right. Um, <laughs> uh, the fact that these women are nuns doesn't always mean that it was uh, not a choice for them, right? It's very interesting to see that in a way, even at that time, you did have a choice not to marry. It would just be you would be a nun, which is still pretty restrictive. But there's also women who are married and widowed and no kids. And then the family, you know, sent them off to a convent. It was really difficult to have this kind of um, single life outside of convent or marriage until much later in history but I'm happy to report that like some of these early women before the 1500s a lot of them are either um, royalty or nuns <laughs> which is interesting um, to, it's just a lot of these two examples <laughs> uh, and and royalty because obviously probably didn't have much of a choice in marrying but the, if they were childless then it's, it's recorded uh, a lot more easily than if you are a peasant or, you know, minor nobility. It's so fascinating. I have never thought of how someone might choose to be a nun. This is just giving me a different perspective and way of looking at things. I've always imagined that someone became a nun because they really just loved that life path and it just felt so aligned for them. But now thinking back in these more restrictive times, it was an alternative to marriage and, and being a mother. And maybe it was just more appealing than the alternative. I think it's because, I mean, there can be two aspects, right? I think there's time periods in history in which, you know, obviously these women did not have choices. Families would throw them into the convent because they had too many kids and couldn't take care of them. But to me, I have this view because, well, first of all, when I was younger, I kind of thought that maybe I wanted to become a nun. And I think a lot of it was due to this fear of marriage and having to have kids. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just do the other 
which is becoming a nun. Like it's, you know, one or the other, you have to pick. (laughs) So I had the same thought (laughs) as a child. (laughs) I just, I've never uh, met someone who also expressed that too. So yeah, sorry, keep going. (laughs) And then the other thing is that there are actually a couple um, more famous nuns who have written that they refused to marry and they forced their family to let them go into a convent. Oh, I don't want to get it wrong, but um, Sor Juana de la Cruz in Mexico clearly chose the convent life because she wanted to be able to pursue more intellectual pursuit, which is interesting because obviously I think around the middle ages nuns you know were probably some of the most literate women because they had to illustrate those those manuscripts and I mean I think there's a time period when yes if you were uh, religious women you probably had more access to books and you know intellectual discussions than the uh, average lay women but then obviously there are others who felt such a I guess a call to God that they refused to marry. And I think it's Catherine of Siena, I think is also one of them in European history. And then uh, there's a few more that I have in my list of single women who wanted to go into convents. Their family said no, they still didn't want to marry. So they kind of lived this in-between life where they were very religious, but kind of stayed home clustered, um, but still avoiding marriage. And if they could, they would have become nuns, but the family was still like, no. <laughs> so oh, wow. we do have women who, who express this wish to join convents. Now, is it motivated by, you know, religion or more about avoiding marriage? That's, you know, another question, but it, we definitely have proof that some of them were like, you have to let me join a convent or I'm going to run away or I'm going to, they go on a hunger strike. I think that's what Catherine of Siena did. Like, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's so fascinating. Yeah. It poses another question that I'd never considered before, just in terms of women looking at their options in the period of time they lived and choosing the one that fit them best, not necessarily because they wanted to be a devout nun, maybe yes, but also maybe like you were saying, they wanted intellectual pursuits and that allowed for it. And maybe like a mix, everyone has a a mix of reasons to pursue something, but it's just super fascinating. I will just mention one other thing that to me is really fascinating is this concept of the, I'm not sure how it's said in English, but the Begins movement, which was in the middle ages, some of these women that uh, were religious, but did not want to join a convent kind of grouped together to form communities where they prayed and they worked and they bought real estate and it grew and it was kind of, and you could be there if you were single. So that means never married. It means widowed. It means, you know, abandoned by your husband or like basically divorced, even if it wasn't always something that actually existed at the time. So you had these women that at that time, at a specific time in their lives were not attached to a man and they could create these communities of other women to work and pool resources and stay safe. And of course, eventually the church was like, you can't do that. You're getting you know, too powerful. Like there was a lot of tension and some of them were accused of witchcraft or they were forced you know, to submit to uh, male monastic orders. Like there's mm. a lot that happened, but it's interesting to see how threatened kind of the patriarchy, if we want to call it that, was by this idea that these women were grouping together without husbands, um, but also not under the church that was still, you know, male dominated, obviously. So that's, to me, something I've only learned during research, the beginnings during the Middle Ages. It's so interesting to see that, you know, 
these alternate lifestyles that existed that, you know, I've never, I've never heard of. Wow. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious, like, when did you first realize you never wanted kids? I think it was during my childhood. And I have friends who have shared the similar feeling of like, even as a child, I wasn't super fun of being a child and of other children. Um, I like to be alone. I like quiet. And I kind of already could see the dynamics that were happening between men and women in my family. And I didn't love that, especially after a big family dinner, all the men sit down and have their coffee and all the women, you know, have to deal with the kids and the cleaning. And um, even though some men in my family are helpful, it, it was very obvious that it was never a 50-50% division of labor. And even as a child, I was like, that's not fair. <laughs> right. That's not fair. So it was really during childhood. I, I couldn't verbalize it until I came across the, the word child-free on social media. And I was probably in college, early college and 19 or 20 years old on Reddit when I discovered that word. And I was like, what's that? And the whole everything kind of opened up to me and I was like that's what I've been feeling but if I have to think back about when it started uh, as early as I was a child I was like nope I don't want to do that um, and it's just yeah it's something that's been in my soul and I and I think that you know there's a spectrum probably of not wanting kids to wanting kids and the same way that some women feel in their soul and body and that they want to be mothers I feel that I don't want to be a mother. It's really that strong to the point that I've had nightmares about it. And it's, it's really strong. And I know there's a spectrum. So I'm probably on the extreme of you know how child-free I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I totally think that there's a spectrum as well. I love that. You know, it is valid. Wherever you are on the spectrum is valid. I think women who really want kids and choose it and go that route is so incredibly valid and meaningful and I respect them. And the other end of the spectrum of not wanting kids, finding fulfillment your own way, and I respect that too. And everywhere in between. What was your process to being able to articulate this for yourself? So it was something that was like in you, but how did it come to be something you could verbalize and understand? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's kind of realizing what parts of parenthood didn't appeal to me. And <laughs> the problem is all of them. But when I was <laughs> able to to break it down, I realized, uh, first of all, like I have tocophobia, like this fear of being pregnant. Like I do not want to be pregnant and go through the whole thing. I do not want to give birth. Like that already just physically, mentally, that, that whole part of becoming a mother, I have no interest. It, it really gives me a lot of anxiety to think about and I can't explain it, but I just know that's what it relates to. Then I also realized, as I was saying, that I was seeing what was going on around me and my family and realizing that I don't want to, <laughs> it feels terrible to say to somebody and I don't want to say it to people, but I've never seen a mother whose life I was like, I want that. I always seemed so stressed and juggling all these things like I wanted to, to be the dad <laughs> I wanted to be you know sitting down and having coffee and enjoying you know my meal like and then being able to be introduced to a couple women who had no children uh whether by choice or not I'm not sure 
but some of my mom's friends lived these kind of no kids life and I was like I want that life Uh, I remember there was you know one was this American woman who was kind of young during the hippies like she lived in a house with 10 dogs or or was it 10 friends and five dogs (laughs) I was like wow that's really cool and this other woman traveled all around the world um, because she's like a, a bit of a documentary filmmaker she later in life adopted a child uh well not really adopted but financially is taking care of a child who was orphaned uh during the Iraq war these women that were just so different from anything else that I knew and I think that's the big part that I realized it's that the main difference is is not their personality is not their careers is that they don't have kids and so I was able to say I want to be like that Therefore, I don't want kids. And then, obviously, as a lot of us do, (laughs) growing up and, you know, kind of entering early adulthood, I went through anxiety and depression and now chronic pain. (laughs) And uh, I don't want to inflict that on another human being. And I know in my family, mental illness kind of, it runs. And I believe it's genetic, or at least it can be influenced. And I just don't want to, I don't want to risk it. And um. And and then my chronic pain is due to degenerative disc disease. And I think it can also be probably genetic because bad backs also run in my family. So all these issues, maybe more in a more logical way, make me think, even if I wanted to be a, a mother, I don't want to do that to somebody else. So I wouldn't want to be a biological mother. And then the last part is that I have always hated babysitting. Like, this is so terrible. I tried it when I was, you know, 15, 16. And it's just, I remember there was all, always these crying toddlers because they wanted their mom, right? And it would just somehow a baby crying or a toddler crying just makes me want to cry out of stress, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I, I cannot deal with this situation very well. And I, I, I want to comfort them, but like, I just, I just get really overwhelmed myself. And then when I get overwhelmed, I want to cry and I want to like run away. And I just realized that the, everything about raising a child didn't appeal to me either. And I didn't want to deal, you know, with a bratty teenager the way I was a bratty teenager. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want, like, I, I really like the saying of like, you know, little kids, little problem, big kids, big problems. And I'm like, I don't know what I would do if, you know, my, child struggled you know with substance abuse or unemployment or you know uh, it's just there's a lot of pain in the world and just the idea of having to deal with that for my whole life and always be worried about this person and then distress on you know on a relationship and my husband like all of it basically was like I don't want to do it I don't want to be pregnant I don't want to give birth I don't want to raise a child I don't want to really be involved in it child's life as far as you know being a parent so it was like every step of the way I was like I don't want to do this because some people might not want to be pregnant but they don't mind adopting or some people might not want to raise a toddler but are fine with a teenager and they might foster which is fantastic and I I really admire anybody who who can deal with kids well even you know teachers who are child free that's I, I admire that even more so because I'm like wow you are able to deal with 30 kids at a time like that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's not for me I feel like a lot of child-free women get stereotyped into if they say they don't want kids or even like they don't get along with kids or don't like kids that they hate kids and it's really not true and like I want my taxes to go towards education of children like I, I sponsor 
a child through um, Save the Children. Like I, I, don't, I want to help the children that exist in the world. I just know that I cannot handle it and would not be fair to me or the child <laughs> to put all of us in that situation. But it doesn't mean like that I don't want to, you know, be part of society. It's just that I can't be it that way, which I think should be more respected because there's a lot of people, you know, suffering in the world and a lot of, I mean, there's a whole industry, right, to deal with parental trauma. Um, so yeah. clearly a lot of people aren't necessarily doing a great job at being parents either. And I just wish, yeah, that people weren't being pushed uh, to be parenthood because it will not necessarily make you better. But to me, I was like, I don't want any part of it. So I'm not going to do it. It sounds like it was kind of deep within you. And then as you continued living life, growing up, realizing all these other reasons that just sort of supported what was already yeah. just a part of you. You're, you're so right. That's exactly it. It's like basically every time I think about it, I find a new justification for why I'm not going to do it, even though, you know, in the end, you could you could try and solve everything that I raised and you, I would still be like, no, you can give yeah. me a million dollars. I probably will still not do it. And then, you know, obviously you add like the climate change and issues, all the issues that the current generation has with finding stable employments and how the future looks and everything related to that. And, and what I call like modern motherhood, which is this kind of idea of, I mean, from what we've seen about women trying to juggle everything and how unfair it is, especially in the U.S. with like basically no no parental leave and, you know, uh, healthcare is so expensive. Like the U.S. doesn't do anything to help mothers and I think that's a terrible situation. But even if you told me you can be paid for three years if you have a kid, I was like, no, it's okay. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> right, right. I don't need these reasons that I don't want kids to be solved. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> is that going to change it? Yeah, absolutely. How did, you know, you spoke a little bit earlier about religion and as a child, you seeing motherhood or like being a nun, being raised in the Catholic faith as your two paths, which I can totally relate to. Were there any other ways that religion influenced your child-free journey? Yeah, I think one of the ways it influenced me is how strongly it pushes the, this idea that all women need to be mother and wives. And we always hear this quote from the Bible, be fruitful and multiply. And I know people have different interpretations of what it means. But when I grew up, it was it was basically get married and have kids. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my grandparents' generation, they had like seven or eight kids each. Uh, my mother's, it was more like four or five. So I still come from my family is huge. It's like our Facebook group has like hundreds of members. It's really big mm -hmm. <laughs> and because everybody has a lot of kids. My mother only only had two kids and that was like the, the minimum in my family. And she wanted more, but uh, she wasn't able to. For some people, two kids is like average. <laughs> but in our family, it's like not a lot. <laughs> You're supposed to have way more until, you know, until God tells you to stop. I grew up in a very Catholic family, very fruitful, I guess you could say. And I also went to a Catholic private school and I was in an all girls class during my teenage years, so like 12 to 16. And um, we had this catechism that was kind of divided by gender. So the, all the girls in the school was mixed, but my class was only women, uh, only girls. And so we would be joined by all the girls and go into an amphitheater. And then the priest would tell us, you know, like all these things about like, 
I remember being taught men are visual creatures, so you have to be careful what you wear because you might make them stumble and abortion is murder and you better not have premarital sex or it will ruin your soul and then maybe even your marriage because you'll have preemptively ruined everything from from having sex and uh, birth control goes against God because God will only give you as much as you can handle. So you shouldn't be doing anything to stop children, uh, except maybe what they call natural family planning, <laughs> which I know some people swear by, but is is very difficult, I think, to, to do accurately. And it's probably why, you know, <laughs> a lot of these people still end up having a good number of children uh, because they welcome. I know I have a lot of uncles and aunts who had exes that they welcomed, <laughs> but yeah, there's no, no way to control families, at least not until you've reached, you know, four or five kids. And it was just repeated to us constantly that this was the highest calling of women. And it was the way God created us. And it was in our gender. It was like what we're, what all of us are meant to do. Uh, and then, some of them might join the convent and that's okay because you're still a bride of Christ. So you're still married to the church. So that's okay as an alternative. <laughs> but we, we basically were never presented this as a discussion. It was more like, let's make sure these young girls who are very influenceable are taught to fear relations with the other sex and to fear not getting married. I mean, I was married relatively young, I think around 23 or 24, but I remember being 20 in college and be like oh my god I'm not married like I'm never gonna be getting married I'm so old like because some people already started getting married at 18 or 19 I'm 29 now and I'm like wait I got married early I was like 23 that's so young I was a baby <laughs> um, so it uh, yeah I have a lot of frustration and a little bit of anger towards these kind of discourses that were taught to us. And because it was a private school, you know, they were allowed to do whatever they wanted. So we had hours <laughs> upon hours of this kind of propaganda, uh, which I think is very damaging, obviously. Mm, yeah, I can really relate to the messages that you just shared there. Those, I feel like, were the messages of my childhood to practice abstinence, wait to have sex till you're married. Yeah, the fruitful multiply, like all of it. All of it. Yeah. And I guess to answer the question, the way it's influenced my child freedom is because I think it was so like, I didn't necessarily realize how bad the messaging was, but being child free was so in my core that it kind of broke me, right? Because I had these two different messages from who I am or who, what's going on in my own mind and what I'm told I need to be doing. And it kind of created this rupture in between. I was like, this why am I not finding these ideas fulfilling or peaceful? Like, why am I so full of stress and anxiety about all this idea and, and having to be married and having to have kids? And whew, yeah, it was, um, uh, I still deal with a lot of anxiety, obviously, but like there's such a weight that got lifted when I left religion because I was able to leave all this baggage behind and not try to live my life as people tell me it should be, but how... I feel is authentic and it comes with a lot of peacefulness, which is really nice. Yeah. How did you make that switch? I mean, you mentioned that there was sort of like a, a catalyst, like a rupture or a breaking open. What was that like? I think to me, what brought on the deconstruction was moving away from my family. I moved across the ocean 
for my studies for my master's degree, I moved from France to the U.S. and I went from living a very sheltered life and a very limited, not limited, but very, everybody was very from similar backgrounds and ethnicities and um, social class, if you want to call it that, to kind of being all on my own with nobody I knew and in a very diverse city, I guess, Chicago, and in a completely different country. And I really started to see how limited my upbringing was. I eventually met my future husband, and he was raised Jewish, but he was an atheist. And he kind of explained his process to me and why he became an atheist. And so he was still very encouraging to me and my faith. But uh, also, he would ask me questions and he would try and, you know, get me to verbalize maybe my thought process or why I believe this and that. And because it was a weird time where I, I was like, I don't want kids, but if I get pregnant, I can't have an abortion because, you know, I believe the whole, like, I'm pro-life and I don't think I can go through with an abortion, which, again, when you think about it, is, is a bit of a weird stance for somebody who's child-free, right? <laughs> There's a weird time period where I was kind of trying to still juggle my upbringing and who I was finding myself to be away from, from home. It took years, but I was like, I am not religious, and I don't support the church as an institution, and I, I don't think I really even care about religion itself for, for many different reasons, uh, but it was very, very gradual, and I tried so many times to make sense of it all, to try and, <laughs> try and make things click together, and it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't, and there was, you know, hypocrisy in my own family, like everything we were taught hasn't stopped divorces and it hasn't stopped babies outside of marriage and it hasn't stopped abortions. <laughs> Very much a the only moral abortion, you know, is my daughter's abortion. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of that was definitely going on. I think obviously the last few years, there's also been, you know, all those discussions about abuse within the church. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I can't reconcile all of this. Yeah. So at the time we got married with my husband in the church, um, I still was religious, not practicing. And I remember we had to go to marriage prep. And that's where we had a woman, a husband and a wife with 10 kids tell us about natural family planning, which I thought was a little weird because clearly they had a lot of children. So I'm not sure if it worked or, or if they wanted that many children. But um, I almost left. Like, I, I was so angry about everything they were telling us about, you know, not living together and, you know, not using contraception. And eventually, at some point, you have to answer the question of, are you ready to accept children or are you open to having children? And I was like, well, what is my answer? I guess there's a 1% chance that I might change my mind because everybody keeps telling me, you'll change your mind, you'll change your mind. So I was like, fine, I might change my mind. I think it's a 1% chance, but I guess that means technically I am, am open to thinking about children because who knows who knows the future. So to me, that was good enough to get married in the church. People will say, you know, well, like you're just you're just using language. I was like, yeah, that's that's the whole religion, but <laughs> to use the language to support your own idea. <laughs> so I don't think it's too hypocritical for me to have done that. That's another issue, I think, with weddings in general as an industry. Like once it's started, it can be hard to stop. And I don't regret getting married religiously. My husband, who was an atheist, was very happy to get married religiously because he knows how important it was to me. So I don't regret it. I just wish that the church could at least 
take that line out because I think there is a lot of people who still identify as Christian. I don't, but who don't want kids. I think right now it can be difficult for them to reconcile that, even though there are many ways to be nurturing, giving, to be fit their religious ideas uh, of Christianity without having children. But um, so I, I don't have this issue anymore of feeling this difference in between what I am and what my community says. But that's because I had I just had to leave religion as a whole. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, do you have any advice for someone who is trying to untangle their own religious beliefs from their life? Like you were talking about for a time you knew you didn't want kids, but you were still anti-abortion, which is very rooted in the Catholic Church or Christianity. How did you shift away from those beliefs and yeah what advice would you have for someone trying to untangle those yeah to me it it was really uh moving away uh having having that geographical space allowed me to have this emotional space and not be constantly bombarded with the messages because if you think about it if you were like me and so you have a tight-knit family extended family that see everybody sees them each other pretty regularly you have church uh, and my own family encouraged us to go to church almost every day if, if we could, you know, those those short services, 30 minutes, but still. So if you do that like a couple times a week and then um, when I was in college, I, I was also part of the, I'm not sure how you call it in English, but basically the religious group of students. So we would meet together and talk and my life, I didn't think it revolved around religion, but when I look back, I do see that there was basically this constant stream of messaging that I can get away from and then when I obviously moved away I still could go to church but it wasn't this constant uh, almost subliminal messaging that I would get and then you know I met people from very different backgrounds and that's to me it was like I had not realized how I guess sheltered my life had been and it really helped take me to this breaking point where I was like oh my struggle is the religion doesn't suit me anymore because until then I couldn't really verbalize what was wrong in my life but for my brother pretty interestingly I think his deconstruction was related to the fact that he went to med school and I think he just saw real life if you want to say like he worked in a public hospital so you know free and not private hospital and I know he really changed his views at the time he was going to med school. And I think it's related to that, to kind of seeing a different world than the one we grew up with. So for me, it was geographical space. For him, it was being a lot closer to to people <laughs> in general and real life, if you want to say it, not this kind of sanitized life of you will be happy only if you stay married and have a number of children. And if you do anything else, you will probably be miserable because you realize that that's not true. It's not true either way, that some people stay married and are miserable and then some people, you know, never get married or have kids out of wedlock or whatever and are very happy. So mm-hmm. to me, it was realizing that, uh, yeah, life was not black and white as I had been taught. <laughs> it was right. very gray. I feel like that is, yeah, the black and white view of life was ingrained in me as well and having to untangle that and, and realize the gray that exists. Um, something 
that we've maybe touched on a little bit is kind of motherhood as this epitome of, of womanhood. And I love that your research is shedding light on all these other women who didn't go that route. And so I think that, you know, you're someone who rejects that narrative and through your research, finding other examples of women who've rejected this construct. I'm curious what womanhood means to you. Yeah, it's it's definitely not an easy answer, but I can say what it is not, and it is not motherhood. <laughs> and um, I think it's, I looked up, again, the number just to make sure, and according to the U.S. census data in 2016, 30% of women between the ages of 30 to 34 uh, were childless. So that means that even if you do consider that women are having children later, including in their 30s, it seems that the great number tends to be 20 to 25% of women never have children. And in millennials, so my age range, I was born in the 90s, for millennials, that number might be at least 25%. So that's not a majority, but it's a huge amount of number of women that are excluded from real womanhood, if you equal uh, womenhood to motherhood. And I think we're trying to, we're starting to see the messaging change, but I hope it does uh, even more so. I mean, obviously there's uh, with the LGBT community, they've really pushed the discourse to, to make sure it's inclusive and womanhood being equal to motherhood is definitely not inclusive, obviously, because uh, there's a huge percentage of women who will never be mothers. But how I would define womanhood is, that's a complicated question, but I always think that one line I've seen a lot is uh, from the philosopher uh, Simone de Beauvoir, who said, you, you know, we are not born women, we become women. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what my belief is, but I think the idea of becoming a woman is interesting in the sense of my own womanhood. I've, I've lived it in the kind of how I've been treated by others. I don't want to say it's in opposition to men or it's in opposition to how my brother was treated. But it's a little bit this idea that I really bonded with my friends over a lot of subjects that might be traditionally considered feminine, but also over how we were treated by everyone else. So for example, uh, we, we, we would play soccer when we were teenagers and some of the girls would look at us like, gross, you're tomboys. <laughs> mm. And then, but the boys would also look at us like, you suck. <laughs> like, there's, there's, yeah, so it was kind of um, learning to navigate that world and discovering sexism and misogyny and basically, you know, how women are treated by society. To me, that's when I think about it, that's how I've defined my own womanhood. I'm very grateful for the fact that I've never felt that being child-free did not make me a complete woman, because I, I've heard that from some other people who say, you know, they feel like you can't be complete until you have a child, or they, or they feel like people don't see them complete until then. I've never felt that, and I'm very thankful to my own self. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's because I, I have struggled with womanhood in, in other aspects. You know, I've struggled with my weight. So, you know, it was always like, People would tell me, you know, you have to lose weight. Um, I've struggled, as I said, I was more of a tomboy. So I've struggled with trying to be more traditionally feminine. Like there's a lot of these, you know, very basic representations of womanhood that I've struggled with that have caused me more issues than being child-free. <laughs> mm. um, so again, every person's experience is very different. And I think womanhood is very dependent on your own experience. But to me, it's been kind of this bonding experience over uh, how other perceives you. And I think that's inclusive because I'm cis and heterosexual, but I can still bond, you know, with 
members of the LGBT community over how specific aspects of our lives are treated and over the fact that, you know, for a long while, if you were cis and heterosexual women, you had this pressure of getting married and having a kid. But if you were a member of the LGBT, it was the opposite, right? You would be denied the right to be a parent. And I think it's, it's like two sides of the, of the same coin in a way. <laughs> I try to ask my husband, how would you define manhood? Like what has defined you as a man? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I talk a lot about my own reasoning to be child-free and how I feel the pressure is unfair on women. And he... He's very receptive to that, but he's told me that like, he had never had to think about that. Like He's never really had this pressure to become a dad or be married. Like He has never had to think about it as intensely as I have and as I know all my friends have. Like It's, it's not just a me thing. Like Whether you want kids or you don't want kids, I think as women, it's something that it's ingrained for us to think about very early on. I mean, there's always the debate about toys, right? Girls get dolls and they get miniature kitchens. <laughs> so it starts really early. Uh, and I think we all have to think about it really early. We just don't think about it in the same way. Like I didn't really dream about getting married, but I thought a lot about pregnancy and, and children. Uh, some of my friends want to be married and want to have kids, but they were pushed so hard also to accomplish other things. In my view, because of the way religion treats relations between men and women, it creates this unhealthy dynamic where like, you know, they reach a certain age and suddenly they're expected to go from, don't you dare look at a boy or touch a boy to like, why aren't you married yet? And it, it's a very weird thing to try and navigate. I remember flinching, like I was 16, flinching every time I would accidentally touch a boy's hand once I got into mixed class, once I wasn't just all girls anymore. And I had to learn that all of this was due to the religious upbringing. I guess kind of talking about women and motherhood and, and like the, the gender differences, like you were talking about your husband and as a cis heterosexual male, him not really having the pressure or the expectation or to have to really think about kids. And I've had a similar conversation with my husband, just like, do your friends say these things to you? Or do, do you get these comments? And he's like, yeah, no, <laughs> um, maybe once, you know, and, and more in an inquisitive than a judgmental tone. There's also this pressure on women and praise for like doing it all, being career driven, having the kid and being everything to everyone. Uh, what do you think of this notion? Do you, and do you think women can do it all? It's definitely something, you know, that I think all of us who grew up uh, after the 80s have internalized this perfect picture of a career woman who gets home and then cooks dinner for her two kids and her husband. And I mean, it's still an idea that you see in movies today, which I found very shocking. But I've always believed that you can't do it just because of the amount of energy it requires. Or that for a few women who might be able to do it, that it's still unfair that they have to do it all. Um, especially, you know, if you do have a partner. And my own mother was, I mean, she was a single mom, but she is an overachiever, great career. I mean, two kids travel a lot. Like she probably is as close as you can to having it all. I mean, she still didn't have it all because she divorced my, my dad um, and her romantic life took a complete backseat until we were adults. Uh, and now she's about to get married again. And it's like, oh, what a big surprise. Like now that your two kids are out of that house, you have had time to meet somebody. And I feel sad that we took so much time and energy from her that it's taken so long because I do think it's very related. 
it's not a surprise that the moment my younger brother was out the house that she met somebody. Right. So I, I see it as really like just incompatible with, with the way things work today in an ideal society, maybe it could work. But I think the pandemic has really shown us that it's a very common sentiment. Like how many articles have we seen about mothers being about to have mental breakdowns because they're working from home and the kids are home and uh, maybe the husband or wife is home too, but like busy on the work call and, and, and then one person has to do it all and that it's just very overwhelming. And my heart breaks every time I've read those articles, but there were so many that I feel very vindicated in the fact that I don't think that it's possible to do it all. And it's like, sometimes, you know, you, you hear those, I want to say, quote unquote, motivational posts. I don't think they're motivational, but like (laughs) Beyonce and you have the same 24 hours. And it's like, no, we don't like, you know, (laughs) yes, there's commutes and there's, you know, money buys a certain level of comforts and nannies. And like, you just, yeah. It's not fair to expect everybody to be able to pull off this perfect life and not a, not everybody wants it anyway. Um, so yeah. I'm very, very against the idea of, of this concept of you can do it all because I think <laughs> that even if I could, I would be running on fumes probably and having mental breakdowns like every two hours because I just, I can't. Like my, my mother almost did it, but I just know that I'm not, I don't have that specific strength. And and as I said, she still technically did not have it all. And I don't really know anybody who would say that they've had it all. We all have problems to deal with in life. And yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, a, it's a lot of pressure to put on women. And again, not necessarily a pressure that's put on men, right? Like you, right. Don't, go to, <laughs> you don't go to Steve Jobs and say, so how did you juggle, you know, mm-hmm. Apple and kids? Or you don't go to like Brian Reynolds and say like, wow, you're... Deadpool too, huh? Uh, how do you how do you do it with your kids? Like you should, you just don't do. You never hear that, <laughs> right? Absolutely. <laughs> what is your favorite aspect of being child free? That is an easy one. It's the freedom, the freedom of child freedom. It's just oh wow. I mean, it's that's been a wonderful thing because I feel, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. That the way society is built, we can often feel stuck. Let's say you're 18 and so you know you have you're gonna have to get to work. So you either, you know, do a trades job or go to university, but no matter what, you like you have to do that. And then you have to get a job and then you have to keep a job. And like there's a lot of halves to in adult life. I know Gen Z will mock me for the term adulting. Uh, <laughs> but there's a adulting has a lot of unavoidable sides that aren't pleasant. And to me, I want to try and not add to that. And for example, for my husband and I, not having children has meant a lot of freedom to pursue job opportunities. We've moved almost every two years now for for him to be able to to get his dream job. And, and it has worked out. And we're very grateful. And there's still a lot of instability in how the U.S. does its labor. <laughs> At least he, he got there. Hopefully we'll be able to keep working on that. I've been able, you know, to take breaks from from working a corporate job to to deal with my health issues. All things that the parents I've spoken to don't don't have that freedom. Like I've talked to parents about like, oh, like I'm moving away. We're going to, you know, this state or that state. Like we we've moved from the Midwest to the West Coast to the Gulf to now uh, the East Coast. And 
I've had parents like, oh, we we have to plan like a year in advance because there's the school term and we've paid for the whole school year. So if we move, we have to plan it that long in advance. And in the U.S., a lot of jobs, you know, want you to start like a lot sooner than that. Um, yeah. Complicated, and then again, and I'm very grateful. My husband has his dream job, but if we had kids, I think he would have to probably, you know, get a job that's more stable and higher paying than what he's doing. So he would have to sacrifice that, and I don't think it's worth the happiness we've been able to find because it can be very difficult to find a job that you enjoy. And I'm so happy he's found that, and I wouldn't want to tell him, no, can you just go get like a more normal job and that you maybe don't love, but that will make sure you know that we can afford childcare and how expensive it is, and yeah, all of that. I mean, it's there's a lot of pressures that are relieved when you don't have children, and then there are other aspects that are fun. Uh, related to freedom and and more silly but like you can, you can go on vacation outside of the school vacations so things are cheaper like you don't have to take your vacation time when all the, the kids are out right now my husband his work schedule hasn't really been Monday to Friday it's kind of been various days here and there and he doesn't always have off days but when he does it can be a Tuesday or it can be a Thursday it's like oh great we can go you know grocery shopping like you know, on a random weekday or go to a restaurant like uh, 3 p.m. on a Thursday. And as I said, it's it's not necessarily a very stable life right now that we have, but it, it's freeing and it's brought us a certain level of fulfillment that I don't think sticking to the big corporate job with the house in the suburbs and the two kids and the and the two car. Uh, yeah, like right now we only have one car because, well, because we don't need two cars. Uh, but if we had kids, we'd need to because, you know, we have to. <laughs> yeah. Like it just, it adds a lot. And then with us moving so much and with me having anxiety, I, I don't like to overconsume. Like I don't like to buy too much, whether it's, you know, clothes. Oh, books are the, maybe the only exception. <laughs> but like, I don't like to buy too much stuff because I feel it can be pretty wasteful. So, um, I mean, who hasn't seen how, like, if you have a kid, suddenly your your living room is full of, you know, plastic toys. And then I'm not saying it's bad to, to buy those things. I'm just saying that, like, there's so much buying stuff that goes into having kids. And I'm happy that I don't have to do that. And we have a dog and I spoil her, but it's still cheaper than, you know, than a child. And yeah, to me, it's this kind of um, freedom and um, almost this lightness to life, mm-hmm. right? I mean, their life is still hard. There's a lot of things that are going on, but it, it it doesn't add to it. And I'm I think that's a part that I think a lot of people need to consider when having children is just you're going to have to stick to how society works if you want to make it so your kids can go to the good school like it's crazy to read about what parents have to do to get their kids into the schools that they want to including buying a house two years prior because the school is in this neighborhood but the prices are crazy like there's just everything Mm. about it becomes complicated and expensive and I'm just happy to try and limit those stresses and expenses. Yeah, definitely. As we wrap up, I'd love to take it back to your research. Who is one of your favorite historical women that you've come across? (laughs) There are so many that I love, so many great women. Uh, I think one of my favorite things is coming across these women and understanding that they've made a choice, that they've made a choice to pursue a specific life path that wasn't marriage and or motherhood, especially, you know, when it's hundreds of years ago. So for example, there's this first century Gallo-Roman physician called Emilia Hilaria, whose nephew wrote about her and wrote how she chose consecrated maidenhood and devoted herself 
to the art of healing like a man, he wrote. So clearly this woman uh, made a choice to never marry and made a choice to be a physician, which I'm not sure how common or not it was at the time, but I'm going to guess it was not common for a woman. And that was like the fourth century. <laughs> and I'm so glad yeah. we have a record of her and that her nephew, I guess, respected her enough to write write it in this way and not in a disparaging way. And it's wonderful to know that, you know, like, go nephew and go <laughs> go Amelia Hilaria for doing that, like, uh, so many hundreds of years ago. Those are the kinds of quotes and stories that I love to find. We were talking, I think, earlier about, you know, how for a long time there was only a choice between marriage and convent life. Well, there's a writer, a French writer from the 17th century, Gabrielle Suchon, who was one of the first women to write about a third choice, which was the single life. So again, 17th century, it's both recent and not <laughs> on the long scale of history is really recent that she actually was able to verbalize this choice and and she was in a convent for a while and then she left and then in her 60s she became famous for this book she wrote about like this this third choice for women which was single life and she wrote and i'll quote because i think it's i love the quote since women through the bonds of marriage are subject to their husbands attached to their children and preoccupied by their servants I will describe the happiness of free persons exempt from such troubles. And I think it's wonderful. Like it really relates to how I feel. And, but this is from the 17th century <laughs> and it was groundbreaking at the time. And I, sometimes it still is today. So it's, yeah, I, that's from, like another quote that I love. And then I have to say one of my all-time favorite is also a French woman called Marie Marvin. And she was uh, alive during the late 19th century early, um, and most of the 20th century. She was a record-breaking athlete. She was a nurse. She was a resistance hero. She was a public speaker. She was an inventor. She was an entrepreneur. Like she was just like her life was, just sounds like fiction when you read about it. But um, she was frustrated by the fact that a lot of journalists kept asking her about her personal life and where did she marry and everything. And then there's this quote in one of the biographies about her that's where she had apparently told the journalist, look here, anybody can get married and anyone can have babies, even cats. And I just think it's such a funny quote. <laughs> there's 8 billion humans on earth right now. Clearly having children is relatively common. <laughs> So I think this quote is really funny because animals do it and birds do it and cats do it and humans do it. Stop asking me about it. I'm doing greater things with my life. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. When was she, when did she live? Uh, she was born in the 1870s or 1880s and she died, I think, in 1960 something. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Fantastic examples. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Emma, it has been so awesome talking with you today. Thank you for sharing your story, um, sharing your research and sharing these examples of amazing women throughout history who've chosen another path. If people want to see your work, how can, or connect with you, how can they do that? So I'm present on both Instagram and Twitter. And my handle is at millennial Emma. And I'm always happy to, you know, share some of my specific research if you're interested, because my Excel spreadsheet, as I've mentioned, has hundreds of names, and I just want to get it out there. I'm also working on two book projects right now, one that's around single women 
who never married or had kids. And that's on submission right now with publishers through my agent. And then I am starting to work on another about child freedom. So if that's something you're also working on, uh, like I'm always happy to connect and discuss. I'm not the most tech savvy, social media savvy person, but I, I really try to. So if sometimes I don't answer, never take it personally. I just, <laughs> I'm just not always connected or always responsive, but I really try. And I'm always happy to, I just want to really put it out there. Always happy to connect with people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, thank it's been, having you're so welcome. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. All right. We'll catch you next time. Hey, listener, real quick before you go, if you're curious what it might be like to work with a coach around any aspect of your child-free life or the decision to have kids in the first place, you can book a free 45-minute clarity call with me through my Instagram page. My handle is at Coach Anna Olson, and you'll find a link to book your session in the link tree. I cannot wait to talk to you.